Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Aloha Leeward Online. Thank you for joining us this weekend. Honey, honeys, come here. Come closer. Honey, honey, honey. Okay, back up, back up. <laughs> so glad that you're here. Uh, for our family near and far, thank you for joining us. My name is Josiah. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. And football season is upon us, full swing. So I wanted to drop a football joke to start today. And it's a Cowboys joke because it always is because it's for Pastor Art who approved this joke. And Art is probably the the biggest Cowboys fan that I know. And he loves jokes like this because um, he says that it makes the wins that much sweeter, as few and far between as those wins are. So here is is the joke for you. We're going to start with some shapes, okay? Here's some shapes for you. Pentagon, hexagon, octagon, season gone. (laughs) Season... Season gone. And my favorite thing at the end of every single service, every single weekend, Pastor Art says, pray for the Cowboys. Like he tells the church to do it. And everybody laughs as if everybody is saying that the Lord can part the Red Seas, but even he can't do a miracle like that. And I know there are some of you faithful aunties that are praying for Art's boys on your own time. Stop doing that, okay? They won last week. Would you pray for God's favorite team instead, okay? Which everybody knows is the Bears, okay? It's right here in Scripture, uh, First Opinions 317. Okay, so today, today we're continuing on in our pause series, and you and I are talking about discovering or rediscovering solitude, quiet time, listening to the Lord. And we're not just talking about it in this series, but we're putting it into practice, Last week, we started a pause journal that's going to guide us for three weeks. We've already done one week. We have two more. If you didn't jump in, jump in with us. You can find it on the front page of our website. It'll guide you for about 10 minutes a day, five days a week. Even if you missed week one, just jump in on week two. And when you finish, if you want to go back and do week one, that's fine. Just jump in with us. It'll be worth your time. Last weekend, we were in John 15, and we talked about abiding, remaining, staying connected to Christ, growing close to him as one grows close to a friend. Abiding is something that Jesus commands of us, but what's amazing is it's something that he also did. While he walked this earth, it was something that he modeled for you and I. And so we're going to bounce around the Gospels a little bit today. And I want to start off in Luke 5, verses 15 through 16. It says this, Yet the news about him, him meaning Jesus, spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. Now, this is the truth that I want to explore today. You can write this down. Jesus often withdrew. That in Scripture, you see moments of Jesus actually going to get away from the crowds, to get away from people. And the Scripture says he went to the lonely places, which means the wilderness, the desolate places, the places where nobody else is so that he may pray. Essentially, What Jesus was doing is he was abiding. 
He was going to spend intentional time with the Father. And it's one of these moments in Scripture that we see the Trinity, at least part of the Trinity at work. That you and I, we serve one God who is three very distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But yet they are all one God. So that means this, they can operate, think, and act independently of one another, but they never work against each other. They're always in perfect harmony and and unity. And we see in this scripture and many others, there are times where they interact with each other. So Jesus would go to the lonely places and pray, was a normal part of his life. And he would go to simply abide in the Father. And today I want to look at three instances that Jesus did that, that he would go and get away and abide and withdraw and be with the Father. So let's start off in Mark 1. And I want to kind of catch you up to what is going on. Let me give you some backstory. This is towards the beginning of Jesus's ministry. He's teaching at a synagogue in Capernaum. And in the middle of his sermon, a demon-possessed man stands up and calls him out. Jesus wasn't having any of it, so he calls out the demon with a word. And everybody is amazed. They say they've never seen a teaching with this authority before, and word spreads like wildfire about this young rabbi. He then goes to Peter's house, and he heals his mother-in-law of her fever. And that evening, there's a knock on the door, and Scripture says the whole town is outside. Jesus heals the sick and the demon possessed. And I imagine this went very late into the night. This probably went on for hours. And let's jump in at verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark. And so that actually means the last watch of the night. So somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus got up left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Solitary place, same Greek word, uh, eremos. I know I'm gonna gonna butcher that, eremos. And it's the same word as before. Means lonely, means desolate place. And so he gets up early to pray. I don't know, I don't know if you feel a little convicted by this, but I do. When I have a long day, or a long, somewhat sleepless night. My thought is always, I need sleep, and I need strong coffee. But rarely does my mind ever go to the place of, I need to get up earlier, and I need to pray. And yet, this is what Jesus did. It was something that he needed to do. And it's crazy, crazy to me that you and I have the audacity to think that we can neglect something that Jesus did. Back to the disciples. They wake up and Jesus is gone. Okay, we know there's like three of them there, James and John, Simon, Peter, and they don't really know Jesus super well yet, and so they lose him. And I imagine they're kind of panicking. It reminds me of in fourth grade, I had a sleepover at a friend's house for his birthday. It was like 10 boys and like his older sister who was watching us. When everybody fell asleep, I would always get really homesick. The minute everybody would fall asleep, it's like 1, 2 a.m. 
I find their house phone and I call my parents. I'm just like, can you pick me up, please? And so they come and they, they pick me up and they take me home. And I was so shame. I didn't tell anybody I was leaving. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't leave a note. I didn't do anything. My parents didn't even either. And so the next morning they wake up and I'm just gone. They have lost a child. And so this poor sister is panicking and she finally calls my parents like freaking out only to find out I had been home the entire time. Needless to say, uh, I was never invited to another birthday party at Elliot's house ever <laughs> again for good reason. I, w- I wasn't even allowed to go over there at that point. I imagine the scene kind of being like that. They don't know him very well. They can't find him. He's nowhere to be seen. And as they're scrambling, I imagine there's another knock on the door And people from the night before, people from the town, maybe people that didn't make it out, are now there to see Jesus again. Verse 36, we kind of see that in this verse. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, and I don't think they were just talking about themselves. Everyone, everyone is looking for you. And I think they thought Jesus would be pleased with his newfound importance and popularity. Like he would want to go out and go and see his adoring fans. But look at what the text says. Verse 38, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So Peter actually finds Jesus getting away from the crowds. You see, here's the thing. Jesus withdrew when he needed rest. This is not the only time that we see Jesus getting away from the crowds. The verse that we read in the very beginning, this is something that Jesus often did. And it's also not the only time that we see Jesus walking away from a need. Think about it. He was fully God, and yet he was fully man. He was confined to space and time for the first time in his infinite existence. So he couldn't be everywhere, and he couldn't heal everyone. He could be in one place at one time. And instead of going from fire to fire, from need to need, and just running himself ragged, he would have moments of doing nothing. There was still a lot of need. Everybody needed him. Everybody was always looking for him. But he would have moments of just going and getting away and being with the Father. He took the promise of Isaiah 40, 31 literally. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And so he would pause in the presence of the Father to prepare him for what was ahead. It's a lot of work to be done. A lot of pressure. There was a lot of need. And instead of letting that drive him from prayer, it drove him to prayer. Instead of letting demands distract him and make him need God less, it caused him to need God more. Peter says, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus basically says, no, no, let us go somewhere else. No, 
No is biblical. And no is a word that you and I need to get better at saying. We need to be able to say this word to people because we can't do everything at all times. Let's practice together. I want you to say it right to your TV. Everybody say no. Some of you didn't say it. Okay, I'm going to try again. I can be here all day. I got nowhere to go. Okay, everybody say no. Okay, some of you didn't say it, but I'm going to let it pass. No. Okay, now let's try some scenarios. Uh, will you uh, come to my uh, vegan barbecue? Say no. No. Uh, will you come to my dog's uh, first birthday? Say no. No. Uh, will you come to my pyramid scheme party? <laughs> Everybody say no. They never call it that, right, by the way. They're like, hey, sis, let me do your makeup. You want to be your own boss, right? <laughs> Here's some essential oils. Okay, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up before I get in trouble. No. You can say no. Say it in Spanish. No. Same word. No. No, I can't do it. I can't do that. Jesus said no. And in these verses, he says no so that he can do something better. See, he didn't come to just do miracles. That's a temporary problem. The miracles were done to support and illustrate the spiritual healing that he truly came to bring. So he says no to healing in one place so that he may heal others and more importantly, preach. It was almost like as he rested in the Lord, there was a recalibration that happened. Okay, think about this. The first week, Jesus said to Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, right? But only few things are needed, but indeed only one. To sit, to listen, and to be in my presence. Now walk it out backwards. If you do the most important thing, if you just sit in his presence, that will help you recalibrate and focus to the couple things that you really need to do that matter most so that you are not worried and upset about the many things that you feel like you have to do. Our rest in God's presence not only refreshes our soul, but it recalibrates our mind to the things that he really wants us to do so we spend our energy in the right places. Now that is a sermon, I mean, in and of itself. But let's move on. Jesus withdrew when he needed rest. Let's look at the next one. Matthew 14. Now let me catch you up, man. There's a lot of drama, a lot of drama going on in these verses. John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin, who prepared the way for Jesus by baptizing people, even baptizing Jesus himself. John the Baptist is thrown into prison for criticizing King Herod because the king took one of his brother's wives as his own. So during a party, uh, King Herod's feeling really good and his stepdaughter, it's really weird, stepdaughter does this really like sensual dance for everybody. And he's like so stoked by it. He says in front of everybody, hey, baby girl, whatever you want, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, baby girl, whatever you want, I'm gonna get it for you. What do you want? And the girl, after conferring with her mother, she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Now Herod, he kind of feared John the Baptist a little bit, but because he made that vow in front of all of his party guests, he felt he had to go through with it. So look at what happens. Matthew 14, picking up in verse 10. They had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. 
John's disciples came and took the body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Look at verse 13. It's really interesting. When Jesus heard what had happened, there are times in scripture Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He knows what somebody is thinking before they even say it. He knows what Judas is going to do long before he ever does it. And yet in these verses, there are times where he didn't allow himself to just have infinite knowledge of everything. So we see Jesus hear this in this moment, and we see him respond. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. So after getting word of this horrific event, Jesus goes to, there's that word again, eremos, same word, solitary, lonely, deserted place, this time by boat, and we know he has his disciples with him. And we only get this one sentence because the story is interrupted by crowds that find them and then Jesus feeds the 5,000 and we go into that entire story. But let's stop on that sentence. Why did Jesus withdraw privately in that moment? And without the text explicitly saying it, I believe it's rather clear. Jesus withdrew when he needed to feel. In scripture, we see Jesus, he's he's not a robot. He embraces a a wide range of human emotions. We see him him enjoy himself at meals and gatherings. We see him angry at religious leaders and money changers in the temple. We see him have compassion, have his heartbreak for others. We see him weep at Lazarus' tomb and weep over Jerusalem as he rides in on a donkey. We See him full of joy after he sends out the 72 to do his work full of anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see him mourn right here over John the Baptist. And I'm sure think about and reflect on his impending death on the cross. Now, many of us here in Hawaii, we were brought up in church. Church was... Church wasn't an option for us. It was either you get a slipper to the back of the head or you go to church. And many of us growing up in church, we were kind of brought up to subconsciously believe that we have to choose between faith and feelings because they are always in direct conflict with one another. And you always pick faith because feelings can't be trusted and feelings are unfaithful. A lot of us think this way, and it comes out even in the way that we support and encourage others. Here's something I've I've heard from a couple different people recently, or I've seen it in articles, or people I know have said this, and it's, it's really interesting. Christians who are going through a hard time, so some of them that I know, you know, they've gone through a divorce, or they've lost a loved one, or a family member is sick. These Christians have said, I am so tired of people sending me Bible verses. I'm so tired of of people just telling me to pray or to just simply have faith to believe. Is that interesting? I know that we mean well. We do. But many times when people mourn or they are sad or they have negative feelings or even mental health challenges, We have this tendency to want to rush them through the feelings so that they can get to the faith. But what if we don't have to choose? 
What if we don't have to choose one or the other? What if we don't have to ignore feelings in order to get to the faith? What if, like Jesus, we don't suppress our feelings, but we pick them up and we bring them to the feet of the Father, all of them, the negative, especially the negative ones. Listen, having negative feelings, being angry, feeling hurt, feeling betrayed, feeling sad, Having feelings like that don't make you unfaithful. They make you human. They make you a human being. You don't have to choose between faith and feelings. Rather, in faith, you pick up your feelings and you bring them to the Father over and over and over again. And this is so beneficial to do in your quiet time with the Lord, to let him know exactly where you're at. What's going on? How are you feeling today? Like to just talk it out. Lord, I'm mad today. I'm frustrated. I'm a little bit sad. I don't know why. You know what, Lord? I'm feeling pretty good. I'm thankful today. Let him know where you're at. He knows where you're at. He's informed already. He's actually more in tune with your own feelings than you are. He knows where you're at. He sees everything. He saw you driving this week. He saw you give somebody the one finger, one eye salute on the road with your he is greater than I sticker on the back of your car. And let me tell you, people with he is greater than I stickers are the worst drivers on the island. And I'm one of them, okay? (laughs) The worst driver. He knows everything. He knows your feelings. But would you unpack it with him because you need to know your own feelings. I have met so many longtime Christians that they can tell you scripture. They can tell you amazing stories of faith and drop testimonies. I can, I can tell you about amazing Christians that, that can do all those things, but they are so not in tune with their own feelings. They don't know how to handle conflict. They don't know how to come to the table because There has been a time in many of our lives where over and over, we choose faith, we choose faith, we choose faith, and we ignore feelings. And God wants it all. It's not so that he may be aware of your feelings. It's actually so that you may be aware. Because a lot of times we are so busy. We're so busy that we're either driven by our feelings throughout the day or we're suppressing them but rarely do we process them. And so we're meant to process them with the Lord. Why? Because 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. So Jesus withdrew when he needed to rest. He withdrew when he needed to feel. Now let's look at last, uh, the last one. Turn with me to Luke 6, verses 12 and 13 says this, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. I've never really pondered this before. The beginning of Jesus's ministry, there was an insane amount of pressure. 
After living for 30 years in somewhat normality and obscurity, he's thrust into this life that he knew about. He knew it was going to happen, but it happens all at once. He's baptized by John the Baptist, fast for 40 days and 40 nights, tempted by Satan. He's doubted by his own brothers. His own family thinks that he's lost his mind. He has demons crying out to him left and right. That's fun, wherever he goes. He doesn't want to tell everybody that he's the Messiah yet, but demons are crying it out for him and he's having to cast them out in time before everybody understands what is going on. The crowds love him, but they love him so much that he cannot simply just go into towns to preach anymore. Sometimes he has to choose the wilderness for ministry because it's the only place that he can fit everyone. The crowds love him and the religious leaders hate him. Not only are they openly arguing with him, but they are plotting to kill him even very early on. In response to the pressure, Jesus doesn't try harder. He doesn't man up or toughen up, but he secludes himself to prayer. He climbs up a mountainside and he prays all night about who his disciples will be. And it's likely at this fact he has tens, if not hundreds of followers and disciples, and he has to narrow it down to 12. See, Jesus withdrew when he needed wisdom. James 1.5 gives us some very helpful instruction for those of us that need wisdom. So if you need wisdom in your life right now, would you listen? In James, he tells us this, this amazing, just groundbreaking information that we would have never thought about. He says, if you need wisdom, then you should ask. Ask, dummy, would you? <laughs> okay, ask for the wisdom. That's why I love I love the book of James because I realized it this week. The book of James is like your uncle sitting in a garage with a beer being like, boy, come here, come here, boy. Let me tell you a story. That's the book of James. It's a dude that is just rattling off basic truth and not watering it down at all. If you love listening to your uncle in the garage, then you should read the book of James. You need wisdom? That's great. Then you ask for it's sub searching for the answer on your own. And this is what Jesus does. It's amazing. Think about it. He doesn't use the privilege of his position. He is fully God, yet he faces the problem like a man, literally. He sought the will of his father by praying all night. And this wasn't him cramming before a final. He prayed often just shows how big this decision was. Wisdom is something we should ask for daily, and we should ask for it in everything. We should ask for it in our relationships, our interactions, the neighbor that we have a hard time loving, our spouse, our kids, the one kid that needs a little extra love in your family right now that you're having a hard time with, that you're just reacting to. We need to ask for wisdom in our families and our homes and our purpose and our life, that it's something that we should always be asking for, praying for, contending for. And when we, now when I say we, I include myself, we, 
we need to get used to asking for wisdom and then sitting there and waiting for an answer. Even for a couple of minutes, we have this tendency to ask for wisdom and then we get up too soon. Or we pray for wisdom once and then we never really pray for it again. Ask for wisdom and just sit and let God speak. And sometimes he won't say anything at all and that's fine. I've had times where I pray and I ask God for wisdom before I'm going into like a very difficult meeting. And sometimes I don't hear anything. But I get to walk into the meeting with the understanding that the Lord has wisdom and he's gonna give it to me in the moment when I need it. And he does. We ask for wisdom. And the amazing thing is the more time that you spend with the Lord, the more that his wisdom becomes to come naturally because if you're close to his heart, you're gonna hear his voice. And not always an audible voice of the God, but it's not not always the, the audible voice of God, but a leading of his spirit. And so you might say, and I had somebody ask me this uh, last week in the foyer. I thought it was such a great question. How do I know between my voice and the Lord's? And actually next week, Pastor Art's going to close out this series and that's what he's going to unpack, how to hear the voice of God and discern it. For this week, here's what I want you to do. As you solitude with the Lord Five times this week, I want you to to rip some pages out of Jesus's playbook. And as you do, I want you to rest. To understand is you pick up your your little pause journal and you go sit outside or sit wherever you are, that you're not going to do something. I go, it's another thing. I gotta get it done before I do this thing. That's your moment, like you've been sprinting all week and that is your moment to hang your head down and to take a breather. That's what you're doing. You're resting in the Lord. Be aware of your own breath. Understand that he renews your strength and allow him to calibrate, recalibrate where you are spending all of your energy and attention. Would you rest? Would you feel? You know, you come home from a long day of work and you got to tell your spouse everything that happened that day. Oh, you'll never believe Mary in HR. Like you got to tell him everything that happened that day. Why, why you're so mad. Why don't you talk to God like that? I need to clean up your language just a little bit, sis. But you know what? God cares. If you come home from work, you're driving home from work, you're mad. Talk it out. Why are you mad? Sometimes I... Sometimes I talk it out with God. I'm like, God, I'm so mad right now. And I talk out why I'm mad. And I'm like, that's really stupid. Why am, I, why am I so mad about this? I just need to be aware and process and in tune with how I'm feeling rather than suppressing or reacting. Talk about with God what's going on. How are you feeling today? Even if you pick up your pause journal and your first words are, Lord, I don't really want to do this today. I don't want to sit quietly in your presence. Start with that. He knows. Would you rest? Would you feel? Would you seek out wisdom? Would you ask for it? Ask God specifically. Don't just do the canned prayer of, God, I need more wisdom. I have a tendency to do that. What do you need wisdom about? What are the specific things? God knows, but I mean, you kind of need to know. What are the things that you need to lift up to him today? Spend time, rest, rest, and abide. Have moments where you get away. 
Because if Jesus needed to do it, then you and I need to do it too. Let's pray. Just do that. Just take a breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. That's God. That's grace. Breathe in. Breathe out. Lord, you're with us. Whether we're high or low, near or far, God, you're with us. I pray this week, Lord, that we would, we would do what Jesus did in the sense that we would, we would get away and just have moments. doesn't need to be hours. Moments with you. Moments where we can rest and breathe, be held. Moments where we can feel and just be honest and in tune with where we're at that day. And God, will we seek out your wisdom? The reality is we have a ton of need, every single one of us. And all of our situations might look different, but there's the same one who has the wisdom that we need, and Lord, it's you. We lay our lives at your feet. Have your way, Jesus. We love you. We love you. We love you. We know you love us so much more. We pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. And we all say together, amen. Amen, church family. Do your pause journal this week and join us next week as we end out our series uh, with Pastor Art Larson. With that, we love you so much. We'll see you next weekend. We hope you were blessed by this weekend sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.